Hello, and thank you for listening to Okanagan Queer Story, a podcast about the queer history of the Okanagan and the people who have lived through it. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded and traditional territory of the Okanagan Sealed people. Throughout this podcast, we may refer to different spaces and places, sometimes by their colonial names, but we recognize and acknowledge that the land on which we are situated is Indigenous land. My name is Donna Langell and I'm your host. I will talk with someone who identifies as 2SLGBTQIA+, and who lives or has lived in the Okanagan. joined by James Steven. Hi, James, and thank you for joining us on the Okanagan Queer Story podcast. Thank you for having me. James, I was wondering if you would start by telling us a little bit more about yourself. I am 20 years old. I've lived in Kelowna my entire life. I study um, emergency and security management at the Justice Institute um, with the hopes of working at emergency management. Ooh, Emergency Management BC and uh, planning our responses to like wildfires and floods and that kind of thing. Um, I got into that through doing my search and rescue certification, um, also through the Justice Institute when I was in grade 12. Um, I also play Ultimate Frisbee. I've played Ultimate for, ooh, I think six years now. Um, and I've been on the board for Clone Ultimate for the past two. And this year, uh, pre-COVID, I started um, uh, Okanagan Juniors Ultimate Club. So for youth under 18. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I actually know what Ultimate Frisbee is. It's, um, it's like kind of like football and basketball mixed together with a Frisbee. And there's wow. no contact. Like I don't. It's it's really hard to explain. You just kind of have to like go to go to YouTube and look up videos, and then you'll kind of like get a feel for for what it is. But wow! And is that a really popular sport in Kelowna? No, no, not really. Um, it just kind of it's just starting to grow a bit more, uh, especially in like middle and high school, but. It definitely isn't super popular. We get made fun of a lot. Really? Like, Frisbee's not a real sport. Yeah, wow. people just ride by on their bikes and harass it. <laughs> that's horrible. Well, that's, that's horrible. Kelowna. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds really interesting. And the work that you're doing at the Justice Institute sounds really interesting, too. Um, yeah. So you said you lived in the Okanagan for your whole life? Yeah. I was wondering if you could tell us about your experiences growing up in the Okanagan as a gay trans man. I don't really know how to start. I don't know. Like I've always known that I was different from like all the other, I don't know, girls in my classes and especially in like elementary school. Like I always preferred to hang out with the boys and like play sports and um, wear boys clothing and people like when I was at, with my family, with my friends would often like think that I was a boy. And that kind of used to bother me because like, I just felt that I don't really know how to explain that because like I felt 
this one way about myself, but then I felt that there were these expectations of me. And I felt that when people called me a boy or called me sir, even like who calls an 11 year old child, sir? <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird. But that like, I wasn't living up to those expectations of what people thought I was because, or what I thought I was and what people thought I should be um, because I was being perceived in this other way. Um, and because I was like so different and so like boyish, um, like a boyish girl growing up, like I was bullied quite badly, especially in like grade six, seven, eight, nine. I think that's all. <laughs> um, just people would like make fun of me and like, I don't know, call me slurs and um, like um, a lot of the times at like recess or some or something like that, I would go out and try to play like basketball with the boys, but they would be like, okay, well, boys versus girls then if you want to play with us, then that's the only way you can play. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me play unless it was like 10 of them versus me. Oh my God. So, yeah. Ugh. I don't know if it's just me, but like Kelowna has, Kelowna is very conservative. You know, I just think Kelowna general is known for being more conservative, more right wing, less inclusive. Um, it's getting, slowly getting better, but it's still definitely not where it needs to be. And it's definitely not very welcoming and it's not becoming as inclusive as it should be also as quickly as it should be if that makes any sense yeah no definitely and i was talking to um kind of a a trans leader in um the community and she's talking about how the overwhelming majority of adult trans people in Kelowna face just ridiculous amounts of transphobia, not just from, I don't know, normal people, but from police and also how the majority of them have severe mental health um, and addictions issues, as well as like ending up homeless or very low income. Um, And that's something that you definitely see in other areas, but I just like how the majority of trans adults are in these kind of marginalized positions when there could be like so much could be done to help them and people are just choosing not to or choosing to respond and like disgust or hate is just like it's mind-boggling and like just so sad and so (laughs) horrifying when you were growing up before you came out did that have an impact on kind of when you wanted to come out, like knowing that you lived in this kind of more conservative city? Not really. Like, I think growing up, like I wasn't sheltered, but I wasn't like super like exposed to everything. My parents didn't like show us a bunch of stuff. It's just like, if we find out on our own, then we would like have discussions or whatever about it. Um, But like, I just didn't have any language for kind of what I was feeling or who I was. Um, until I was well into high school. Um, like I think grade 10 or 11 maybe, and like sex ed or psychology courses. Like it, it was very, it was very like kind of late in my kind of, I don't know, 
development, I guess, emotional development. I don't know. Like there were some of my classmates that were trans um, and non-binary, but I, they, they also didn't really come out to like grade 10 really. So we just didn't like know or have any language to kind of describe. Like I didn't, I hadn't even heard the term transgender until I think grade 10 or 11. And by that point I was like 16. Wow. I think that goes to show how important it is to have that in the school curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it definitely should be taught. Like, I feel like, I don't know, the earlier you expose queer kids to queer history and queer language and other queer people, like the easier it will be for them to come out and also to accept themselves and to like come out to them to themselves first because that's the main kind of big step um kind of realizing who you are before you can come out to anybody else um yeah if if those kind of, of subjects are taught in schools or at least kind of talked about more in schools which they are kind of starting to now but it's still not enough and I, I don't think young enough it's like life-saving being able to like use a name that you identify with more your correct pronouns being treated as a person that you kind of feel that you are inside rather than like who you feel like you should be based on what you're born as like if that kind of makes sense what like what gender you were assigned at birth or these kind of stereotypes that people have for you. Yeah, I think that's really interesting what you're saying because, you know, one of the purposes of this podcast or one of the goals, I should say, really, is having something for students and younger generations to be able to access, Mm -hmm. to see themselves reflected in the history because I think a lot of the people that we're talking to, like yourself, didn't have that opportunity and know how valuable it would have been. And mm-hmm. it could be. Mm-hmm. I do still consider myself lucky because like that language does exist and people are more accepting of it now. Like a trans person who's like, I don't know, even even five or 10 years older than I am or who came out five or 10 years before, like face so much more adversity and there is so much less representation. Now at least we have people like like Laverne Cox and Monroe Bergdorf and Chellaman and like so so Chaz Bono. Chaz Bono was the first trans person I ever saw. That's like I didn't even know what that meant. But everyone was talking about Cher's daughter's a boy and like all this like on it was on the news for weeks and he was on dancing with the stars and it was insane just seeing this like i didn't even know that was possible until i saw him on tv and my jima is a big fan of dancing with the stars so i always made sure to watch his numbers when he was on so just like like i said i didn't even know that like it was possible to transition and that it was possible to be anything other than yeah kind of what what you were born as and what people believed you to be as you were kind of like assigned. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I totally believe in the power of representation. And you mentioned um, how important it is for young people to have access to queer history. Were you familiar with a queer history of the Okanagan? It was, was it something that you ever learned about or were interested in learning about? I, no, I never learned about, about it. Um, I still don't really know anything. I've got, I've had a, a couple like kind of side conversations with Raymond, uh, Raymond Kohler about it um, because he's been out and active in the queer community in the Okanagan for years and years. Um, but no, I, re- I really don't know anything. I don't know about what it was like for queer people um, in the Okanagan, even like 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like, I definitely have tried to learn more about, like, kind of queer history in general, because I feel like it's kind of our responsibility. Um, Because people like uh, Sylvia and Marsh P. Johnson and Stormy DeLavery just really paved the way for us. And, like, we wouldn't be anywhere, like... without them and like we wouldn't be nearly as accepted and we'd still be probably getting like we we still do get beat up and killed (laughs) constantly but it would be happening at a much greater frequency we would still be like arrested for even being who we are like we owe we owe so much to um those people who kind of fought the hard fight um and got us even like basic rights like sexual orientation and gender identity are now protected in the charter of rights and freedoms now and so it's the least that we could do to learn about their stories and their fights and what queer history and queer liberation kind of meant to them that was a very long-winded way of saying it. No, I but. think that was really well put. I I agree. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, yeah, that's kind of my feelings towards it as well. But I think the the challenge for some folks is that that isn't always readily accessible to them. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, when it is, it, it, you like, I think you use the word responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I I really like that. Like it's a social responsibility, a cultural responsibility to learn about, like you said, the folks who fought for the right for us to, to even exist. Yeah. And kind of like I was saying, like the least we could do is learn about them and carry their stories forward and teach other queer people about the people who made it possible for us to kind of live out and as ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we also face the challenge of a lot of our history being forgotten, forgotten, Mm -hmm. unheard. You know, this is something that, that has happened because for a very long time, people didn't consider queer history worth saving. Exactly. Like a lot has changed, but also a lot hasn't. Like we're still 
especially if you look at who's in charge of the United States right now and who some of his main kind of cronies and advisors are, just like the way that he actively tries to um, erase queer people and erase rights for like erase uh, healthcare rights for trans people um, not allowing trans people in the military kind, like turning a blind eye towards blatant violence um, and homophobia and transphobia it just it just it's terrifying to think that that is still well, it's obviously not acceptable, but it's still kind of accepted practice in 2020. And even looking at just recently, Aaron O'Toole, who is now the leader of the Conservative Party, announced his shadow cabinet. The um, diversity and youth shadow minister has been blatantly homophobic and transphobic in the past fully admits to it, does not see anything wrong with his views. And yet it's like he's the shadow minister of diversity. Like, how is that allowed? Like, how is that acceptable? It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, what does the queer future of the Okanagan look like? Um, I don't know. I hope that it is more inclusive, um, especially to trans and non-binary people. Um, and especially so like, I feel my big kind of hope and dream is that we will have tackled the issues that we have with homelessness and addiction and mental health issues. Um, especially in the trans community more and kind of built a more inclusive community for all, not just people who are wealthy and kind of, white and cisgender do you think that the okanagan queer community is inclusive of trans non-binary folks no i feel like we're trying a lot harder um especially like with trans march i think clone pride uh clone pride society created director of transgender community community development position on its board as well as creating a trans trans and non-binary um, committee to help kind of build um, up trans march and social um, events. But I, th- I feel like there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, especially like within c- the community and kind of people's own internalized perceptions of trans people. Like, I, f- I feel like there's a lot of gay men who feel that if they date someone who's trans, um, then they're not really gay and that they're not really a man. They're just kind of... Like, I, I get a lot of messages of people who are like, oh, I don't know what it's like to, like, date a man. Would you want to go out with me? And it's, like, someone who's, like, maybe kind of experimenting and, like... I don't know, with other people. And so they feel like, oh, a trans man is a good um, kind of halfway point and that kind of thing. It's just like, it's very, it's very kind of that in Klona. It's people who want to experiment. It's people who want to, um, or who people who just refuse to even acknowledge us 
um, because they don't see us as like kind of real people. That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, but it's like one of those things, like what do you do to try and, and try and break that down? Like people need to tackle their own kind of internalized transphobia um, and perceptions of trans people and what, like a lot of trans women are trying to speak out and be like, if you are dating trans women or sleeping with trans women, then you need to be more open and honest about it because you not being open and honest and kind of accepting of your attraction to trans women and um, acceptance of having a, a trans woman as like your partner is killing us. Like it's not helping like you being out and saying that you're like proud to be like dating someone who's trans helps us be seen more as like a real person and less of, I don't know, this kind of thing it's like, what do you even do about, about that? Because there's nothing really you can do. Do you think it would be helpful for there to be more, um, like, exclusively trans spaces? And um, not just spaces, but programming and events and that are that are built from the community? I'm just kind of curious. I, defi- about I definitely think having, like trans programming and trans education um, that is made kind of by the community. Like I know Trans Care BC came and held um, a kind of workshop for um, people who work in healthcare um, about helping support trans people and what trans identities are and defining non-binary, genderqueer, two-spirit, as well as how to like, kind of properly take care of trans people, trans people's medical needs, especially in terms of like um, hormone therapy, um, mental health, surgery assessments, that, that type of deal. Um, that I found was super helpful. Um, I know there's Jade Walters runs uh, Okanagan Gender Identity Group, which is a peer support group. Um, that they have been running in person, but since COVID they've switched to running it on discord. Um, Foundry is running transmission, which is for trans youth right now. Um, They meet once a month, like the last Monday of every month. I haven't been able to make, make a meeting because I've been working like crazy, but um, hopefully I'll be able to make September's. Um, And I think, you know, there's a responsibility to those in the, to those of us in the queer community who are cis to shut it down, like shut down tro- transphobia when you see it, when you hear yeah. it, when you're near it. Like, exactly. don't don't let being uncomfortable get in the way of sticking up and being an ally. Like, th- exactly. then you're not an ally. You're you're complicit in the oppression mm-hmm. of a- another marginalized person. Exactly, and it's like. Transphobia is has like so many layers too. Like there was this um, kind of infographic that I saw on Instagram where it was an iceberg and the title of the iceberg was transphobia and the tip of the iceberg outside of the water was murder and suicide. 
And then you go below the water and it's like all these microaggressions, like dead naming, using the wrong pronouns, asking people about surgeries and hormones and what's in their pants and all those kind of things. They just add up over time and they just make you feel horrible and not valid. And it's, it's those kinds, kinds of things too. Like my sister is the most amazing person I've ever met. She's only 17 years old and she's an unbelievable ally to me like I don't know where I would be without her because whenever I'm out or we're out as like a family and someone slips up on my pronouns or my name she'll correct them instantly and so it's like it takes this large weight off of me and like because a lot of the times I feel like if we're if the trans person themselves is doing all that kind of stuff like it just like, oh, you're just that angry, entitled trans person who has to correct me every single time. But if someone like her who's cisgender is doing it on behalf of me, like it just makes me feel more valid. Like I'm getting top surgery on Monday, September 14th, and I'm so unbelievably excited. And I was telling people at my work, and they're like, wait, what? Like, what's that? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, you're transgender? Are you becoming a woman? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going the other way around. <laughs> it's so funny now like I pass it's so funny not even a full year into my transition and I'm already passing so that people think I'm going the other way it's so funny (laughs) but it's just like I want to be able to like kind of be excited about things that are happening for me and not have to like explain the absolute basic things like I feel like people just need to that's why I think it should be taught in schools like if you don't know the difference between trans and cis by the time you're in grade like eight, like, dude, your teachers. After you came out, how did that affect your involvement in sports? Because you mentioned earlier oh. at the interview that that is something that you are really passionate about, really involved in. Um, it definitely has made it a bit more challenging. Um, however, for Ultimate, because I was on the board for Clone Ultimate, I was able to write like a trans inclusivity policy kind of before I came out, kind of (laughs) sneakily for myself to kind of safeguard, (laughs) safeguard myself and make sure that I would still be, I don't know, somewhere. Definitely fully playing my own agenda. But now like this mom came up to me and was like, my son, my son is trans and he feels safe playing ultimate because, because of this. And so now it's like, I almost started crying. (laughs) It was like one of those things where like something that started off for myself so I could create space now it's kind of like other people can use makes them feel safe and welcome too which is which is super important for um sports organizations to have these policies for especially with like the international olympic committee being like super anti-trans and like so horrible even bc school sports isn't that great there's so many like so much red tape and so many hoops you have to jump through to like and parental parents have to sign off which like if you're not out to your parents or it's not safe to do so is a big issue and it's just very very important to have trans friendly policies in place and to just kind of accept that people could take advantage of them but the likelihood of that happening is um very 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 minuscule and that you really need to take that risk of investing in trans athletes um first and then if you do have issues then kind of deal with them on a case-by-case basis but for me coming out especially in ultimate i was kind of 
I, this sounds so bad. Like I hate talking about myself because I feel like I'm full of myself, but like I, I was kind, I was one of the better kind of woman ultimate players. And then kind of coming out and starting to transition, I went like <laughs> into like mediocrity. <laughs> and now I'm just trying to start to like train and work myself back up again. Um, so that was kind of a weird, weird transition to go through. Um, volleyball was the same and just kind of how people saw me is a bit different. Um, just my abilities are so much different. Like, like a lot of the cis guys that I play with have had testosterone and I've had, um, the ability to train with testosterone in their bodies for five, 10, 20, 30, whatever years. Whereas it's been, it'll be a year, October 23rd for me. So it's like, I don't know. It's it's been a very big kind of hurdle, but I've slowly been trying to like work up from that. First of all, that's so cool that you were able to write that policy before you came out. And I think that's just really amazing. And the effect that it had on future players too is incredible. Yeah, that that was that was crazy to me. That's something that like I wanted people to like um, a cross clone ultimate to feel welcome because there ultimate does have like a decent kind of queer representation more so in Vancouver and um, the States, but definitely there definitely are a f- quite a few queer people in Kelowna. And I felt that it was just kind of important to kind of recognize us. And I just, I didn't really think that it was going to have the, the impact that it does, which is like, I don't know, kind of surreal. I don't know. It just makes me very proud. <laughs> it should. And I think, honestly, that's a piece of our history, right? It's like you're, as you're successfully writing this, this policy, like that's a part of our history that we should, that we should share, that we should preserve. Yeah, that's so weird to think about. <laughs> that people are going to look at that and maybe like 10 years yeah, you should be super proud. That's amazing. <laughs> thanks. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, James. I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and telling us your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Okanagan Queer Story, uncovering the queer history of the Okanagan, one story at a time. Hosted and edited by Donna Langell. Produced by Donna Langell, Tasha Jarrett, and James Sieben. The theme song is Never Sleep by Ryan Anderson.